Hi, welcome everyone to a new podcast series called A History of Xenophobia, From the Gold Mines to the Rise of the Far Right Today. My name is Iriel Glynn. I'm a lecturer in Migration History at the School of History in University College Dublin. And this is my colleague, Yan Li. Hello everyone, I'm Yan Li Xie, a History PhD graduate of University College Dublin. Welcome to the podcast. Ariel, I would like to ask, on behalf of our audience, some questions about your podcast series. My first question is, why did you want to record a series on this subject? Well, Yanni, as you know, we, we teach together a course on the history of nativism, our history of xenophobia, and since the 1850s, a kind of global history. And recently, there's been a lot of discussion in education that you know people learn in different ways. So I thought a good way to reach my students and also potentially a bigger audience was to record a podcast series in which I talked to a lot of the experts in this field. I, I thought also it was a good way to bring in a historical dimension to a very contemporary topic, that is the, the rise of the, the far right or the radical right. What's missing is often a historical dimension, that this happened in the past with different groups. So this series tries to highlight some important historical case studies, but it also tries to blend theory. A lot of the work that's been done on the far right has been done by political scientists, for instance. So it takes that and... and it uses it, but it also tries to see if it works on historical case studies. The real question that the series tries to grapple with is what causes xenophobia or nativism or, or sometimes anti-immigration? And it, is it due to the anger of, of people because of the pace of change or because of a decline, a perceived decline in living standards? Or is it because of the arrival of these charismatic and innovative politicians and, and radical right-wing parties? So they, they were the kind of main reasons that I wanted to record the, the series. Thanks, Eero. I think the topic is highly relevant and important, especially since recent years have seen an alarming global rise in anti-immigration and nativism as a political force in the context of wars in the Middle East and Eastern Europe, as well as the COVID-19 pandemic. So our audience might need a bit of clarification of the concepts and theories essential to understanding the topics of the series. There are many terms that I've already mentioned, you know, xenophobia, which is generally understood to mean kind of an aversion or hostility, our disdain, our fear of foreigners, our people from different cultures, our strangers. So this is why I suppose xenophobia is, is in the title of the, of the series because it, it captures what um, much of the series concentrates on, which is this hostility, disdain, fear of people who are understood or perceived to be different. So sometimes those people are citizens of other countries, so immigrants, but sometimes they're, they're also citizens of, of the countries. Are, you know, they are part of the state, but they are deemed to be not part of the, the nation by certain groups, for instance. So they're seen as being different and they're, they're, they're seen as being a threat because of this difference. Nativism is, is, is related. You know, it's, it's the policy or practice of protecting the interests of native-born or, or existing inhabitants against those of, of immigrants or people from minority background. And then anti-immigration is, is actually what the, the course title it, it was called, and the history of anti-immigration. But this doesn't capture everything because sometimes there's hostility towards citizens, as I said. So 
let's say, when we're looking at anti-Semitism in the 1930s towards Jews in, in Germany and other European countries, usually the people who are being targeted are citizens and have been in that country for hundreds of years. So the, there's no question over them being immigrants, but they're still seen as outsiders, as being perceived threats or potential threats because of their their supposed foreignness. And also what, what the course relates to very much is populism. And we know, as you mentioned there in the question, that populism is, is quite prominent in political debates at the moment. And usually populism refers to the policies or principles that political parties use to, to represent the interests of ordinary people. But, you know, in many ways, that's what all political parties would like to do, represent the, the interests of ordinary people. But these populist parties, and they can be from the left and right, but the ones that have become particularly prominent in recent years have been mostly from the right or the far right. And they kind of see them themselves as representing the real people, the pure people, which is different from these minorities that I've mentioned are immigrants, for instance. So I think xenophobia is, is probably the, the most fitting because it can extend to, to all, be, you know, and it can, people be, can be perceived as outsiders because of their religion, the color of their skin, their ethnicity. And maybe also something to keep in mind is when talking about the, the populist radical right, so Cass Mudder, who's probably the foremost expert on this in the world, talks about there being three tenets of populist radical right. So nativism, so that's kind of what we're talking about, how states should be inhabited exclusively by members of the native group and whereby members of the non-native groups are seen to threaten the, the, the nation. Then there's also this emphasis on authoritarianism, so security, trying to have a strictly strictly ordered society, which is not something that we concentrate on in the series that, that does sometimes raise its head. And then there is also this idea of, of um, the pure people, so being anti-corruption, anti-corrupt elite. So I think we saw this with in the Trump election, you know, towards Clinton and Wall Street, this uh, this sentiment that, that this was the, the real pure people fighting against this corrupt elite. So, but we will focus mostly on in the series is this kind of nativism, xenophobia directed towards immigrants and minorities. Thanks for clarifying the important terms that will repeatedly appear in the podcast series. Um, so you mentioned that scholars nowadays interpret historical phenomena will investigate the demand and supply side factors. What do you mean by demand and supply side factors? Yeah, I suppose briefly, um, demand side factors refer to kind of bottom-up factors, so conditions on the ground that generate xenophobia. So the, the, that these sentiments, these feelings, don't come from political parties or leaders, but rather they're seen as a reaction to certain things that are happening around them. So perhaps there's a large or uh, perceived large increase in, in immigration and diversity around people that they're uneasy with. Perhaps it's because of economic problems, so, you know, there, there is a research that shows that there's, in the US, for instance, that there were surges in anti-immigrant sentiment after sharp economic downturns, you know, in the 1930s, for instance. So because immigrants were seen as a perceived threat, there's a, a time of high unemployment. There's also, 
something very prominent and something that will feature repeatedly in the series is this feeling of um, the winners and losers of modernization or, or globalization or change. That people who felt, who feel that they have lost out because of these changes, because of modernization, that they are the ones who are angry and they are the ones who are more likely to put forward these xenophobic views that maybe scapegoat migrants or, or minorities as as the reason for their perceived uh, fall in so, social status, for instance. And something that also will be quite prominent in our discussions is the so-called cultural backlash. So that's that people are reacting against progressive cultural change. So this kind of idea stemmed from the fact that often in the literature there's been this emphasis on, on economic problems and, and modernization, and this is why people vote for these parties or have these sentiments towards outsiders but Pippin Norris and Ronald Inglehart talked about the cultural backlash because they they said well sometimes there, there's a huge rise in voters going towards um, let's say radical right or far right parties where, where uh, the economy is doing well so you know in certain Scandinavian countries for instance or Austria you know after the economic crisis unemployment stayed very low in comparison to other countries, yet there was still this growth in popularity of these parties. And Inglehart and Norris talk about a cohort of society that's uneasy about this move towards cosmopolitanism, multiculturalism, environmental protection, human rights, gender equality, LGBTQ rights, for instance, so that people are uh, rejecting this rise of progressive values, this and that they feel that family norms are being changed or that they're they're angry at the, this loss of of privilege and uh, status. So you talk about the demand side here. Um, so I would also like to note about the supply side factors. The supply side is more like the top-down mobilization of voters. So that is that the explanation that says the reason people are, are shifting, are, are taking on these kind of xenophobic nativist views is because of the appearance of these um, parties who are putting forward this message that targets minorities or immigrants. And so they're saying that it's it's not the result of an economic crisis, for example, but it's because of the appearance of these either reformed or new parties that are targeting immigrants or minorities are placing this huge emphasis on identity and, and trying to identify who's part of the uh, the nation and who's not, and that they've kind of started to set the agenda by putting immigration and diversity to the top of the political discussion or the political sphere, then they're also, they've modernized quite well. They're taking advantage of social media much more than our uh, other parties. And, and the same historically, that they could be, for instance, using media, new sources of media, new mediums better than other more traditional parties, they there's an emphasis on on these parties often having charismatic leaders, and then there's also the fact that these these parties organize very well. Now, these parties they're not all successful. There's a, a, probably more examples of failure than success. And and one of the foremost scholars, David Art, talks about organization being key. And you know he he says that. These parties that are really well organized have a much better chance of succeeding than those that are not so well organized. 
Thanks for uh, giving us uh, extra information about understanding the supply side factors there.、Um, so my next question is:、uh, What kind of format will the series take? Yeah, so it's going to be a bit of a blend. So there's going to be, you know, th- this series contains interviews and talks with political scientists, linguists, sociologists, but mainly historians. But the first few weeks there will be. Several conversations about the, the theories and definitions that we've just outlined, and again, try and just want to reiterate that many of the people speaking will do so in very simplistic terms and, and clear, comprehensible ways. And then thereafter, we'll turn to more historical case studies involving, for instance, the treatment of Irish immigrants in Massachusetts and New York in the 1850s, and the appearance of the Know Nothing Party, for instance. We will look at. The treatment of、um, post-colonial immigrants in Europe, in in France and Britain and Portugal and the Netherlands, for instance, we'll touch on anti-Semitism in the 1930s. We'll talk about how Chinese miners were treated in the U.S. and Australia and elsewhere. And what we'll do is that every week there's going to be a new、uh, podcast. It will run for from from now till、uh, just the turn of the new year. And every week there'll be on a certain day a, a new podcast released.、Um, so I would like to know who will be contributing to. Well, we we have a range of scholars, as I said, from different di- disciplinary backgrounds. So, for instance, Lars Rensman is a professor of political science in Passau. He will be、um, he will talk in the first podcast about these demand and supply side theories in more detail. But he will also talk about, for instance, what's happening with social media and how. Uh, political parties are taking advantage of of this new medium very successfully. The, thereafter, we'll have、uh, Elizabeth Iversflaten from the University of Bergen in Norway, who's a professor of political science, and she'll talk about gender and, and the radical right and why she'll try to explain why is it that women, for instance, are are less likely to vote for these radical right parties than males are. We, we have Ruth Wodak, who's a Professor of linguistics in in Lancaster in Vienna, and she'll talk about a book she's written called "The Politics of Fear," and and also the language that's used by these parties. And then we'll kind of turn more to、uh, historians like Leo Lukasen, who's the director of the International Institute of Social History in Amsterdam, and a professor of history in in Leiden, and he'll talk about kind of mob violence towards labor migrants and groupism, and then some of the case studies I mentioned. So. Hidetaka Hirata from UCLA will talk about the treatment of the Irish immigrants during and after the famine in the U.S. Marilyn Lake from Melbourne, the author of *Drawing the Color Line: The Global Color Line*, for instance, and and May Nye from Columbia will talk about the treatment of Chinese immigrants and miners in the English-speaking、uh, so-called New World in the second half of the nineteenth century. So we'll have a whole host of of people and disciplines and backgrounds and. It, it will be international, very international in the sense that it will it will talk about Australia, South Africa, North America, Europe, but also people coming from China, from India, from the Caribbean, from Africa, to certain places as well. Thank you for making this well covered and comprehensive series. Our audience will find that、uh, the scholars' diverse research fields make this topic globally relevant. Now my last question is: Where can people listen to it? 
Yeah, it's on History Hub's website, so historyhub.ie, uh, where you can find a whole host of podcasts and videos from the School of History at University College Dublin, which showcase historical research like this. Um, and it will be available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, and wherever else you get your podcasts from. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks a million, Aero. I'm also looking forward to listening to them. Thank you.